Hey, you're about to hear a great word from our teaching team. At Freedom House, we're about equipping you to experience Christ's freedom every day. We would love to connect with you. We stream our live services Sundays at 10.30 and 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. You can join us at freedomhouse.cc slash live. I hope you enjoyed this message. Hey, all you beautiful people! Woo, good to see y'all live streaming. Welcome. Thanks for joining in. Thanks for being part of our campus online. We appreciate that. Uh, good to have you with us today. Uh, my name is Michael Singer. I am one of the pastors here at Freedom House Church. Uh, I am married to this lovely lady on the front row. Uh, so if I catch any guys looking, I'm going to knock you out. No, I'm just kidding. Um, we have three kids, uh, Noah, Jonah, and Lily. And we just celebrated recently 13 years of marriage. <laughs> now, uh, marriage is a beautiful thing only if you make it a beautiful thing. And we have made it a beautiful thing. It's not always easy. I get on her nerves. She gets on my nerves. We love each other. It's challenging. It's hard. But... We're down here on the front row laughing, and I got to tell you what my wife told me. This is just our ebb and flow, how much we love each other. She said, it's amazing to me what goes on inside that big head. <laughs> and you know you got a rich marriage that is good when your wife tells you that. Uh, I didn't feel disrespected. It was hilarious to me. But the reason why is because we have a backbone and a foundation where we just enjoy being around each other. We tell each other often that uh, it's just, we just love our life that we get to live together. Um, and it don't matter what anybody else says, does, or whatever. And I know you want me to stop talking so it takes all the attention off you. That's how I met you, girl. <laughs> all right. So, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm supposed to be saying now. I guess I, guess I got to preach a message. <laughs> so, hey, here's the deal. Uh, we have a teaching team here at Freedom House. So, if you walk through the doors, we have multiple campuses and we decided that instead of doing a video feed of Pastor Troy or Pastor Penny to all the campuses where you get to hear the senior pastor all the time, uh, our desire as a church and our desire of our pastors was to have a team of people because our preference, not a right or wrong, just our preference was to have a live person standing here talking. I know my selfish uh, opinion is that I love that. I'm old and old school, so I like seeing somebody up here. But it might not be that. Some of you pr might prefer, like, I'd rather watch a screen with the senior pastor talking. And that's fine. Here's what I will say. 16 year, almost 16 years ago, when I walked in the doors of Freedom House, they were meeting at an elementary school. Uh, it was set up and breakdown. There wasn't many people there. I did not come back to Freedom House because of anything about what was going on or how I did or didn't feel treated or anything like that. I came back to Freedom House for one reason. I knew that God was going to challenge me in my relationship with him and challenge me in life. Now, here's the key. The way he challenges me today is very different than he did back in the day here at Freedom House. But as long as I'm being challenged, I know that God has put me here. He hadn't told me to leave. That We're going to do things to get on your nerves. There are going to be people that hurt you. Some of you can't stand the fact. This, that Pastor Troy is not here. Whatever the case may be, all I'm saying is, is don't make a decision on whether or not you get connected with a church based off of those simple, simplistic thoughts. Make it off of whether or not God is doing something and changing, and you're not going to feel something every weekend. You're not going to feel something every time you're in life group. But as long as holistically something is moving and changing and God is doing something and putting his finger on you, it's worth staying and staying connected. And speaking of connected, 
We are in this series we've been doing all summer called House Party. Uh, how many of you here have just opened up your home or, or done a house party somewhere or been to a house party? Raise your hand if you've been to a house party. All right, a lot of people. Jalea and I threw a house party. We've been to a house party. We also threw a house party, I think it was a week ago Friday. We, uh, we knew it was going to be big, so we rented out the PNC Pavilion. We invited Janet Jackson, and um, we, saw, we saw Miss Karen Lee there. <laughs> Um, and there was a lot of people we didn't know, but it was fun. We hadn't talked to Janet in years, but it was good to have her back. It was a fun time. So the thing I love about House Party is that this whole series is about us uh, realizing that God has wired us and designed us for relationship. Whether we, whether we want to believe that or not, that's how he's wired us. And that his desire is for us to be around people some of us love to be around a lot of people, and we love to get energy from the crowd. Some of us don't like being around people, and we like our alone time, and we get energy from the crowd not being around us. But whatever the case may be, whether you like to be around two or three or up to ten, or whether you like to be around a hundred and you like to be the life of the party, the reality is, is God designed us for a relationship. And his desire is for us to understand, know, live, and be changed by community. Now, here's what God has been talking with me about recently and just some of the dialogue we've been happening. I haven't gone into a prayer closet. I haven't woke up and, and prayed every day. But when I'm walking around in my life and I'm talking to God, i.e. praying to God, he has been talking to me about this idea of community. And he's been showing me that, Michael, you're engaged and you see a lot of people, but in some avenues of opportunities for you to have real community, you really haven't been doing it that well. And it's easy in our American culture today, this day and age where we're connected and plugged into everything, I find it to be a challenge to slow down enough to really figure out, hey, is there more to community than us just, us just showing up and sitting in these nice comfortable chairs at a church? And so I want to talk about this today. I want us to leave here and realize that, hey, it's cool to show up to a church and that's, that's a benefit and that's something that needs to be done. Getting around other people is something that we need to do. Getting involved in life groups or small groups here at Freedom House. Getting, serving, all this stuff. We need to be around people. But God's desire is for us after we take that step to do so much more with this rich jewel, this rich quality of community that he has for us. So I started reading a book that my wife suggested that I needed to read. Not in that way of like, you need to do better, you need to read this. Not in that way, because women, wives, if you're married, not women, wives, if you're married, never approach your husband like that, because he will feel disrespected and he will shut down. Just say, I think you're the greatest, and this book is gonna reiterate the greatest of who you are. <laughs> and then he maybe will read it. Started reading this book, my wife's a reader, I'm not. I can't stand to read, don't like to do it leisurely. Uh, just, I'd rather the TV read to me. That's what I would rather. So I started reading this book. I'm only two chapters in, but there's so much good stuff. Y'all are going to hear some of this stuff today about community because this book is about community. The book, the name of the book is Strong and Weak, Strong and Weak, and it's written by Andy Crouch. He talks about community. He looks at scripture and he draws out some principles, and I want to share some of what he says combined with some of the things that God just took what he said and some of my thoughts. And we're also going to look at God's word and how he interjects some of these principles uh, in our day-to-day -day and, and he encourages and challenges us and how he wants us to really live community. I want to start by reading 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I'm going to read verse 19, but I'm only going to read the last part 
of verse 19, okay? It says this. This is Paul talking to Timothy. So that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Paul looks at Timothy, the, the, the guy, the young man that's like a son to him that he's raising up and he's trying to give him wisdom and prepare him for the people he's leading and the people he's around. And he says, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Now, when I read that, I automatically know that if there's a life that's truly life, then there's a life that's not truly life. Now, it's not important to know for what I'm talking about today who he's talking about because this idea is something that applies to all of us. Because John 10.10 says that God came to give us life and give us life more abundantly or life to the full, however you want to see it. It's this idea that there's a life more than just what we think life is. That there's an idea of how God wants us to flourish that might just be a little different than our conscious or subconscious idea of how we define flourishing. There's a family that's about to have a baby, and they go to the doctor, and the doctor says that your child has this certain situation, a certain disease, a certain illness, whatever, that 95% of the kids who have this, they don't even make it past childbirth. This family is upset and sad. They have their child. Their child makes it through childbirth. They say, well, most, most people with these cases, most children that have this issue, they don't make it past the age of one. This child makes it past the age of one, makes it, keeps living, 9, 10, 11 is going, is going. But this child cannot do anything for themselves. They have to be fed. They have to be washed. They can't talk to where their parents can understand. The parents are trying to figure out what do they mean. Doctors are looking at them, all this situation. Someone who is in that situation, this person who has no ability to wash themselves, eat, or do any of those things, do they have the ability to flourish? Can they flourish? If we answer that simplistically with what maybe we think flourishing is, then the answer is no. Because flourishing is not simply growth. When we grow and get better, if we think because we're growing that we're automatically flourishing, that is a very shallow and it misses the mark on this life that is truly life. When I moved from Louisiana with my family to North Carolina, I was almost 12 years old. I'm riding in the truck with my dad. My mom and sisters are in whatever, whatever, what other, whatever other vehicle we had at that time. My dad, as we enter into North Carolina, looks on the side of the road, and I'm staring, and I see this, like, viney plant just, just, like, everywhere. And my dad said, Michael, look. Look at all those cucumbers. Now, I grew up, my dad always had a garden, and they looked like a cucumber plant. And for a minute, I was like, there's no way. Like, who would plant cucumbers all along the side of the road like that? My dad starts laughing, and he says, Michael, that's not cucumbers. It's something called kudzu. Now, many of you have seen kudzu. If you leave out here today, you're going to drive home. More than likely, you're going to pass this viney plant with these beautifully rich green leaves called kudzu. Here's the reality. If you look at kudzu off of growth and say, man, that area must be flourishing. 
we would be wrong because kudzu is an invasive plant that takes over and kills things. So growth in and of itself does not equal flourishing. Flourishing is not simply health. I work out, I eat right. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm not really talking about me right now because uh, this shirt is barely staying on. But we say, I work out, I eat right. You know, I, meet, I met all my PRs in the weight room this week. I lifted all this stuff. I look good. I go to the doctor. The doctor's like, man, we need to take a picture of you and put you up on our wall. This is the greatest just specimen of health there ever was created. But if we think we're flourishing just because of health, we've missed it. Flourishing is not about how affluent we are. It's not about the fact that, you know what, I finally don't live paycheck to paycheck. I got a substantial amount of money in my uh, savings account. We're paying all the bills easy. We upgraded our house. We got a car for everybody. Kid, you get your license. You want a car? Let's get you a car. All the food we need in the pantry, we can go out wherever we want to go out. We can travel here, travel there. We can do everything. Therefore, I'm flourishing. Whether or not we're affluent has nothing to do with really defining if we're really flourishing. Flourishing has nothing to do with how hip, cool, modern, or fashion-forward our neighborhood and the surrounding area seems. Just because I can grab my yoga mat and sit in my Starbucks does not mean that I'm necessarily flourishing. Now, all of these things can be involved with the flourishing that God has. So I'm not saying that you have to discredit these things. But what I want to talk about today is there's a flourishing, there's a life that's more than just the life that we think it is. I love how Andy Crouch talks about this haphazard definition of flourishing. He says this. He says, define flourishing, flourishing carelessly, define it hastily, instinctively, from a position of temporary power or privilege, and we will end up missing the real thing, or better yet, the real one. We will miss Jesus. So here's the statement. Here's what I want you to leave here today. Here's the main crux of what I want Myself to engage and learn more, and what I want all of us to get is this statement right here. When we choose to go past interactions and create community, that is when we flourish. When we choose to just stop showing up and sitting down or being around people in a very subtle, nonchalant, let me just go here and get back home kind of way, when we don't go past those interactions, but it needs to start with interactions, when we're not willing to go past it, and really create and choose to live in community, then we will miss out on what God's idea of us flourishing is. Andy Crouch talked about this idea of how community is so important, and he said in that book I mentioned earlier, Strong and Weak, he said, flourishing is not actually a property that is of an individual at all, no matter how able or disabled. It describes a community. Flourishing is not actually the property of any of us individually at all, no matter how able or disabled we are, but it describes a community. It's found in community. When I think back and I look at the Bible and I go way back, if, I, if you had to ask me, Michael, is there a place in the Bible where you really feel like they experienced this idea of flourishing a community that, that God talks about, where would it be? I would easily say it had to be in the garden before Adam and Eve ate that fruit. I don't know if you've ever asked yourself or said this to yourself. I've heard people say this before, and I know I've said it, is, man, if only Adam and Eve hadn't eaten that fruit, I probably wouldn't have to go to work today <laughs> and be around all these drama-filled people. You know, for me, 
One of the things that would be on the other side of that statement, if only Adam and Eve hadn't eaten that fruit, I would say, I could be standing up here naked. <laughs> now look, don't make it weird, okay? The reason why I say that is because there is one thing about me that is probably the most frustrating thing in my life, and it definitely comes up every weekend when, it when it's time to go to church. I can't stand getting clothes together. I hate the idea of trying to think about what I'm gonna wear. So if, it was, if I was back in Adam and Eve time, I just wake up, see you, baby, and I'm out the house. <laughs> and it wouldn't have been weird back then because it wasn't weird for them. Ladies, let me talk to you for a minute about if only Adam and Eve had eaten that fruit. No, I'm not going to blame you because Adam was there. It was really his fault. So, so I, I, heard, I heard some guys chuckling. You might want to slow that roll before the wheels fall off. So, ladies, those of you that have had children and those of you that don't want to have children because of this, imagine having babies without severe pain. That, that didn't happen until after they ate the fruit. That was a consequence of eating the fruit. So in the Garden of Eden, they could have had babies without having the pain. Now, I don't know if that means they would nine months and they would give birth like normal or they would be laying in bed, wake up, and oh, shoot, there's a baby beside me. <laughs> I don't know. Now, I will say this. <laughs> in that scenario, if you're married, going to bed would be a scary thing. You'd be like taking ribs out before you go to bed so God didn't make another human out of one of your ribs. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that Adam and Eve, they experienced, y'all got to stop laughing now. We got to go on. <laughs> they experienced a community that was really a flourishing that God desired for them. And I believe the reason why they experienced that and lived in that was because they embraced a paradox back before sin entered. A paradox is simply this. It's two thoughts, two ideas, two principles that seem like they should be very opposite, but when they're working together, they're very powerful. So it's not, you know, putting two things like the book name, strong and weak, it's easy to think it's a linear picture where you either gotta be strong or you gotta be weak. It's kinda like my son Jonah, our middle child. They've watched something or seen something where now he asks this question all the time. Daddy, what would you rather, dot, dot, dot. And he gives me two options. And I'm like, man, I don't want to eat. I like both of those. He goes, no, no, you got to do either or, or. But that's not the case. If we want to live really and live in community, we have to understand, like Adam and Eve experienced, that we have to live with a paradox, with these two things that seem very different, but God intended them to be married and live in the same space. And when we choose to live with both of them, we can really experience what flourishing is. Now, these two paradoxical pr principles that I'm going to share with you today are authority and vulnerability. And the reason why I'm going to share with you about authority and vulnerability is because authority plus vulnerability equals a community where we can flourish. Authority plus vulnerability equals a community where we can flourish. 
Now, we have to define both of these words, so let's look at authority first, because authority is not just you're the boss and you're in charge, and you have authority because you have a title. That's not what we're going to talk about today. What we're going to look at when it comes to authority is this definition. Authority is the capacity for meaningful action. The capacity for meaningful action. We all have that capacity. There are some of you that maybe you're an engineer, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you work somewhere, and either because you've worked there, you've gone to school, you know something and you know how to do something, so you have a capacity for meaningful action. Now, we don't step into that authority until we take that meaningful action, but there's a capacity there for us to act on that. Recently, about three weeks ago, uh, was really when all these big storms started happening, all this rain, thunder. And I know where I live near downtown Concord, we've had some pretty major uh, storms and stuff come through. About three weeks ago, uh, we're sitting in our house, and we didn't know this, but on the radar, Concord was in the red. But we knew it soon because the wind started, our grill blew off the porch, we had neighbors' trees that began to fall. Neighbor beside me, tree fell. Neighbor next to them, tree fell. Neighbor next to them, tree fell. All in one line. They think a tornado might have touched down in that area. All this craziness going on. My neighbor beside me, Mr. Lee, I said, Mr. Lee, I saw your trees down. Thankfully, nobody was hurt. They, they didn't fall on anybody's house or anything like that. I said, hey, Mr. Lee, I'm going uh, to get a chainsaw and help you cut that up. Now, here's the deal. This is a moment of authority, meaning that I am capable of meaningful action. I have a chainsaw. I've used a chainsaw, so I'm not like swinging from trees and the greatest alive. Don't call me to come cut your tree down because I ain't doing that. But I know how to use a chainsaw. Also, in my top seven of things to be doing is holding a chainsaw in my hand and cutting trees up. It's like the top seven life things that I love. So I had this meaningful opportunity or an opportunity to take meaningful action, to have this authority. And as I did that and we cut up the trees in all those people's yards, it's amazing the community that it developed. Even some people across the street that we had waved at and kind of didn't really know that well, I was able to get in conversation with them. They engaged in us in different ways. But just because that opportunity to take meaningful action, and we all have that ability. And God injected that into the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. So let's read about this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God gives them this opportunity for meaningful action. It said, God blessed them and said to them, talking about Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, it's very easy to read that and go, oh, he said the word rule. That means authority. No, no, remember, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about this opportunity to take meaningful action. So here's where the authority comes in that God injects into this community of their relationship. God is a God of order, meaning that God just doesn't haphazardly, randomly do things. There is order to what he does, and we can see it in creation in the way he created Everything that we see today, heavens, earth, everything. Had he not been a God of order, he would have woke up on the first day and said, oh, man, I think today we need some animals. Day two when he woke up, he would have said, oh, shoot, all the cows drowned because I didn't create any land for them to be on. Oh, shoot, all the animals starved because there wasn't any plant life. 
When you look at how he created the earth, he created it systematically and in order because he knew in order for it to really thrive and be what it was intended to be, that there had to be a meaningful action and purpose behind it. So when he said this to, to Adam and Eve, what he was doing is, is he was injecting this idea of authority that because you are in the order of what I created, you now have the opportunity to take meaningful action. So this is authority, but we also have to have vulnerability. Now, it's easy to think of vulnerability as I'm willing to share emotionally some things that otherwise I would not share. But it's very easy to get lost on that being the only way that we are vulnerable and miss out on what vulnerability is and how it's defined with us finding community. Here's what vulnerability is. It is exposure to meaningful risk. Exposure to meaningful risk. It's this idea that I could lose something or I could lose someone. It's this idea that I could be wounded if I decide to engage in this relationship more than just showing up. It's this idea that there is a cost involved with what we are doing. Now, sometimes we can share our feelings and things that we feel like, I'm going to uncover this today for everyone. But it doesn't always fit in vulnerability if we're doing that to gain something. If we're doing it because we want people to feel sorry for us, then we're gaining something so it's not real vulnerability. You know, the idea of being naked, since we talked about that earlier, is a very vulnerable thing. But nowadays, you can make a lot of money getting naked. So it's not necessarily vulnerability anymore. Vulnerability is in relationships and stuff when there's a risk that is involved, a cost that maybe we will lose something. And in Genesis chapter 2, not only did God inject the authority that we just read, but in Genesis chapter 2, he injects this idea of vulnerability in this community of him and Adam and Eve. In verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded him, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. He injected this moment of, Hey, there's a cost if you eat this tree. There's these two main trees in the garden, the knowledge of good and evil, got knowledge of good and evil, and the tree of life, and there's all these other trees. You have access to everything, but there's a boundary on you can't eat from this tree. We go on further to see the cost and the potential risk and, and the exposure to this risk. A little bit later on, whenever the snake comes into the garden, and he tempts Eve, you see the potential exposure to risk when Eve is faced with a choice and Adam are faced with a choice when the serpent says, hey, did God tell you you couldn't eat anything around here? No, he said we could eat everything except that tree. Do you know why God told you not to eat from that tree? Because if you do, you're going to become like him and be wise and know all these things that otherwise you wouldn't know. There's a moment where Adam and Eve have to contemplate what if there is this risk of not knowing that all God has for us? It doesn't mean that there's going to be anything harmful to happen, but what if it happens? 
You see, Adam and Eve that day, when they ate that fruit, what they did was is they removed authority and they removed vulnerability. They took the authority they had to be over everything and they took it selfish and they took it under, uh, under the method of controlling and they decided to take it into their own hands and they lost authority in that moment. They lost vulnerability because this one tree that God said, if you will be exposed to the risk of what you might not get if you get this tree, if you're willing to just walk with that and let it be a part of your life, if you're willing to be around it and not try to take control of it and just let it be, I have something big for you. But when they ate, they lost that vulnerability. Here's what happens when we lose authority and vulnerability. We withdraw. It says they heard God coming in the garden and they heard him walking potentially to walk with them like he had many times they heard him and it says they ran and they hid they withdrew i asked you at the beginning if someone who was born with a disability or a circumstance where they couldn't take care of themselves at all could they really flourish and i said that if you define that haphazardly and you look at growth and wealth and all those things the answer would be no. But if we get beyond what the world says, if we get beyond what we think, if we get beyond what sub, uh, subconsciously we've been told and these wrong definitions and we look to real life, there's more to life than what we think there is. If we look to real flourishing, then the answer to that question is yes. But it's yes, not because this person can do it on their own. The answer is yes, because this person opens up space for real community to exist. Community where the authority of a doctor who has the capacity for meaningful good does surgery after surgery on that person. That same doctor is exposing themselves to risk because there's a good chance that though they know a lot, they can do a lot, they're not going to be able to do anything to heal that person or change even their livelihood. You see, we need something around us that might seem weak so that we can mix it with our strength and really enjoy the community that God intended for us. We have to have authority, this capacity to do meaningful good mixed in with this idea that there's a risk involved. Those parents that have that child, they risk things that I don't even have a clue what it means to risk. They risk time. They risk relationships. They risk everything. And do you know when I see a documentary, when I see something on TV, when I talk to somebody that has a child that just is, is different or has something going on that's different than what we have to experience, do you know that when they talk about life, there's a richness there's something deeper than I go, God, I wish I could see like they see. It, when they take the opportunity, when we take the opportunity to have authority and vulnerability in life, we'll experience something that is great. Now, that day when Adam and Eve decided to bite that fruit, it didn't get rid of the opportunity for, for people in the Bible to experience real community. They still had risk and vulnerability. They still had an opportunity for meaningful good. And when they took it, it built a strong community. 
Moses stood before Pharaoh. He took a risk, but he knew that God had put in him this, this capacity for meaningful good. And it created a community of people that were set free. This guy, David, he took a risk when he faced, faced this big giant Goliath. Nobody else wanted to. A lot of his community of people could have been killed that day. They could have been seen as less than. It could have ruined the way that they felt like they flourished. But he took a risk, and he had a capacity for meaningful action because he was a guy who had been throwing a daggone rock out of a slingshot all his days while he was a shepherd. It was like me and you eating with a fork. For him, it was second nature. He had a meaningful capacity. He stepped out, even though there might be a risk, he stepped out, and he acted on it. I believe that God, that day that Adam and Eve took that bite of fruit, I believe he went into father mode, meaning that I believe everything in him said, I've got to get my people back to a situation and a community like I had in the Garden of Eden before sin entered the picture. And as he engaged with people in the Bible, as he tried to encourage and strengthen and give authority and vulnerability to draw community. Ultimately, he knew that he had to have one specific sacrifice, one perfect sacrifice to get us back to an opportunity of community like there was in Eden. So he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And the great thing about Jesus is, is if you read the Bible and read the stories and read his interactions with his disciples through the lens of authority and vulnerability, there's nobody that acted that out and allowed those two paradoxes to allow people to flourish like he did. I'm going to read to you one example of how he let authority and vulnerability act at the same time and create community. It's found in uh, John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. John 13, 1 through 5. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Basically, Jesus knew he was about to die. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Here's the authority. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Talk about a capacity for meaningful action. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. This man that just had this thought that I came from God, I have all power and authority, I'm about to return to him. It didn't say that he stood up and said, guys, be encouraged. Keep a good outlook on life. Be positive. Let's speak the truth. Let's say what's supposed to be right. He didn't say any of that. He stood up and he said, I have all authority because I'm capable of meaningful action. And because I have that, I realize that I also need to have vulnerability and exposure to risk so that these guys understand what real community is like. He risked, it, he risked that day being the one who was seen as a king and doing something that should have been done by a servant. He risked the very idea of who he was. And there's no greater community than the community of those 12 disciples because even though only one of them 
stood at the cross the day he died and the rest of them ran away? If you look at what they did after the cross, that tells me that Jesus, with his authority and vulnerability, had engaged them at such a depth that they didn't lose sight of the power of what flourishing can really be when we get past just walking around each other, liking each other's pictures on Instagram and all that stuff, and we really engage in community. Look, social media makes it hard to really engage in community. And I just want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because I'm, I'm not a guy who's into all the technology stuff. But that's just me, and that's a wrong way of thinking for me to think that extreme. But there is a way to engage on social media that can be this real idea of community. But it's up to us individually to decide how we're going to do that. But the reality is that some of us have been hurt. Some of us have experienced pain. Some of us don't even want to deal in the vulnerability side. I'll take the authority, but I don't want to deal in the vulnerability because, man, Michael, there's too much risk. I know that maybe nothing will happen, but maybe something will. And God is crying out to us to say, look, don't let the days go by where you're living a life that's not really life. If you will, stand to your feet. I just want to ask you a question today because I know that I wouldn't even have a clue how to engage in this type of community and experience the life that I've experienced. I would be a good guy and, and likable and all that jazz, but I would not really understand what life really is if I hadn't started a relationship with God back in 1992. And I didn't get it all that first year. I still ain't got it all. I'm still trying to figure it out. God's still putting his finger on me and saying, hey man, <laughs> you gonna engage in real community like you know how to engage in real community? Are you just going to be tired and go, oh, gosh, I just want to stay home and watch Netflix. I don't want to talk to anybody. I just want to offer you an opportunity to really understand what community is. But we first have to understand and accept a relationship with a God that he's the only one that can help us operate in those two paradox things, those two things that seem so opposite and so hard to have both in the same picture of life that authority and that vulnerability. So if you will, close your eyes. And I want you to make this answer with your eyes closed only because I want you to just be able to think about whatever God is saying to you. If you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, if you're here and maybe you've walked through these doors and you just came to sit in church just to check it off your list, if you're here and you want to make a real engaging and have a real engaging moment with God and start a relationship with Him, then all I want you to do is to raise your hand to a community with him that will allow you to flourish. Just put your hand up if that's you. I see your hand down here in the front. Thank you, ma'am. In the middle, in the back, two ladies by each other. Lady over here, thank you, sir. Thank you for raising your hand. Young man in the back, thank you for raising your hand. Up in the top on the right side. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Thank you for raising your hand. I want to pray with you. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And uh, if you're in here and you raise your hand, say it loud where you can hear it. If you're in here and you have a relationship with God and believe this, just say it loud too. Just say this. God, I love you. Thank you for choosing to engage with me. You sent your son to die for me. And I believe that today. Just like you did everything to create community, real community. I make a decision today in my life to allow authority 
and vulnerability take me to a place where I experience real community and know what truly flourishing really is. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe. And hey, if you want to find out more about our church or how you can be a part, go to freedomhouse.cc.